We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where you learn how to be a leader and not just a manager of a to-do list. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can find me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. Your to-do list is a hungry monster that is never satisfied. For the last year and a half, I've helped principals get awards, get promoted, and find the time to do the work that really matters. I recently opened a new mastermind slot. Schedule a call with me and let's overcome the stressed and isolated principal position together. Go to the show notes for this episode at transformativeprincipal.org and click schedule a call with Jethro. Thank you to our sponsor, Can Do You. Can Do You helps busy principals create the school culture they've always dreamed of through motivational speeches, engaging videos, and leadership camps that are packaged together for schools that want to see real change. Go to candoyou.us slash Jethro to schedule your call today. And if you sign up before the end of the summer, you'll receive a big, huge TV for your lobby to recognize all the amazing things that your students are doing every single day. That's candoyou, C-A-N-D-O, the letter U, dot U-S slash Jethro. Welcome to Transformative Principle. Today, I am really excited to have the host of the Planning Period podcast on Brad Schreffler. Brad, welcome to Transformative Principle, and thanks for being part of the show today. Hey, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Jethro. You know, I've uh, started listening to your show, and I really like it. I don't, uh, I don't know how transformative as a leader I am, but I'm more than happy to talk. Yeah, well, uh, I'll take it, and I'm happy to have you on as well. Let's start first by talking a little bit about your podcast for those who don't know, and then we'll get into some fun conversations after that. So tell us about your podcast. Uh, cool. Yeah, so my podcast is the Planning Period Podcast, and it is basically, I kind of think of it as that. The name is is what I think of it as. It's kind of like two teachers sit down and meet up in the break room and just start chatting back and forth. I have three questions I ask all my guests and they're very open-ended and and lead to great discussions, but they're not very scripted. I don't like to give my guests my questions ahead of time if I can avoid it. And, um, you know, it's just kind of 
two teachers sitting down chatting about issues that they see in their daily careers and what they think they can do to fix them. And, you know, I try to focus on not being negative. We try to, we address a problem, we, we identify it, but then we talk about what can we be doing as teachers to fix it? What can we be doing as leaders to fix it? You know, whatever position they're coming from. So that's really kind of where my show comes from is, is just having conversations about education and trying to move that greater conversation forward. Well, I think that's so important for so many voices to be involved in that conversation because the problems that we face in education are so big that we've got to have lots of ideas and lots of thoughts and, and talk about it so that we can actually make the changes that we're hoping to make. And it's not an easy thing to do. So the more we talk about it, the better that it is. Can you tell me one lesson that you've learned from your podcast that you think is especially valuable? <sighs> Just one. You know that I think the the lesson I I take my first question I ask all my guests is what is the biggest problem facing education today, and that is an intentionally loaded question. Uh, you know, it's designed to be a question that that truly is a challenge to answer. And what I have found interesting is that in recording, I think I've recorded thirty five episodes as you and I are talking, and in recording thirty five episodes, I've yet to really hear someone give the same answer as someone else. Uh, so we've had 35 different answers to that question, and none of them have been wrong. And um, that that's what's interesting to me. And what I take away from it is that the problems in education are really varied. And yet, despite the fact that none of those answers are the same, 35 episodes in, we all speak a common language and have a common passion for fixing those problems. And while those problems can be daunting, we are all still doing the work of teaching kids every single day in the framework that we're given. And I think that's so critical is recognizing that it could be better, but still working in what it is. And that's the lesson I learned is that across the across the US, across North America, across the globe, we all recognize the problems, but are still getting the work done. I was deep. Recognize that it could be better, but still work in what it is. I like that, that positive pushing through perseverance kind of approach. I think that's really powerful. I certainly have my thoughts on what the biggest problem facing education is today. But I think I should save that for your podcast and we should do it there because I think oh, tr trust me, you were getting an invite when we're done here. That's happening. <laughs> That'll be great. I love talking about those things because we always feel like we know what the problem is. But then once we start talking about it, then it's kind of like, wait, is that really the problem or is it this other thing? So so anyway, today, one of the problems that we're going to talk about is professional development. And by day, you are a teacher and a coach. Is that right? Yeah, I have a, a what I like to call a hybrid role where I'm still in front of kids every day, but I'm also instructional support and coaching teachers every day. So I get to do a little bit of both and I love it. Great. And so you get to see how to help teachers learn and grow on a regular basis and you get to see how to help kids learn and grow on a regular basis. And I love that schools do that kind of a dual approach because I think there's a lot of power in and having that be the case. And uh, an interesting thing about my school is that our teachers association actually prohibits me as the principal from being able to teach a class because I'd be taking a job away from a regular teacher, which I think is just fascinating. <laughs> but that's a conversation for a different time also. So let's talk a little bit about how to how to effectively professionally develop teachers and the different roles. So as an instructional coach, what do you see as the thing teachers need as far as professional development goes the most? In a word, I would say modeling. I think so much of our, of our PD approach comes from this belief that 
the only way to get teachers to learn is to stand up and lecture to them. And and the way I put it when I started this role and started running PD at my school and being over all of it, I said, I absolutely ref- refuse to stand up and lecture to my teachers for an hour about the importance of not lecturing to their kids. Yeah. And that's what we do. Like as, as obviously ridiculous as that statement is, that's what we've been doing for so long is we stand up and we lecture to an auditorium full of teachers and say, here are all the things you shouldn't do. Here's how you should do it. But we just explain it. And we don't just, and maybe, okay, maybe in the last five minutes, we model it. We say, okay, let's practice. And everybody read this article that has nothing to do with anything in a small group with your peers. And it's, that's not enough. It's just not enough to get it done. And we have to start thinking about not only alternative models of PD, but teaching our teachers like we want them to teach our kids. And it seems so obvious, but I don't see it happening in a lot of places. Yeah, it seems so obvious. That is one thing that I have. I believe that my my whole leadership career as well. And that you're just standing up in front of everybody, you know, talking at them and you're telling them not to talk at kids. I mean, why would they ever think that that? <laughs> how would they not have cognitive dissonance? So a funny story about that, you know how teachers have to do mandated trainings every year? Mm-hmm. Well, those things happen. And our district is really focused on personalized learning right now, which I love. It's why I came here. It's so much fun. And I, I just love the idea because it's such a huge challenge to really try to personalize learning for every single learner in the room. It's incredibly difficult, but so rewarding when you actually do it well. So we were doing these mandated trainings and I was like, why don't we like do this in a personalized learning kind of way since that's what our focus is in the entire district. And the person I asked that to said, well, we can't really do that because this stuff is really important and it has to be taught in a certain way. And I was like, oh, there goes an opportunity. (laughs) (laughs) You know what else is really important? English and math and science. Why couldn't we model how to do this in a personalized way for everybody so that everybody could see even with this stuff that we're required to do by law, we can still do it in a personalized way. And, you know, modeling is, it's so ironic, because you think that we'd be the best at it. And yet, we really just struggle immensely at it as well. Why do you think we struggle so much, Brad? Well, I think there's, there's an argument to be made that administrative people, especially at the top are often far out of the classroom or disconnected from the practice. And practice changes so quickly that there's really very little they could do to fix that. I mean, if I think about best practice in the last five years in my district, it's drastically changed. And by the time you get to a superintendent or deputy superintendent position, you've been out of the classroom for 10, 15 years. So the people coming from the top probably don't know in practice the best practices. They know it in theory, I would hope, because I'm sure they're staying up on the learning, but they're not actually doing it in classrooms. So I think that's part of it. But I think the other part of it is on the flip side, teachers are often terrible students. They're your worst class every day. I mean, when I think about my day, I know how to manage my students. But when I put teachers in front of me, it becomes a lot harder to manage those teachers because if they want to just sit on their phones, I can't take their phone away. You know, some of the strategies I use in a classroom don't work in professional development. And so it's a completely different skill set to try to do the same strategies. And I think a lot of that is because the teachers have had so many years of terrible PD, they come in with the belief that this is going to be a waste of their time. So they bring their stack of papers to grade and that's what they sit there and do. And if I ask them to do something more engaging, they're resistant because they had planned on grading papers. 
Um, so I think it's a multi-layered problem. I think it comes partly from the teachers and years of bad training and also from the administrative side and years of bad training. And I think we've kind of created this process where PD has become a dirty word in a lot of cases, and it takes time. So the first time you do a new innovative model, it will fail miserably because there's so much preconceived notion of this being pointless that there's a lot of, you know, hesitance and resistance to actually try it. So I think it's kind of a multi-layered problem. It's kind of a rambly answer to your question, but I think that's kind of where I come at it from. Yeah, well, I, I think there's a lot to unpack there. I do want to push back just a little bit that on the idea that, you know, some of the strategies we use in classrooms we can't use with adults. And that's one of the things that I that I see a lot, that my teachers demand that I act a certain way with kids in a completely different way with them. And what it really comes down to, I think, is if I treated teachers the way that they want me to treat their students, there would be horrible complaints and grievances and people would be leaving left and right. And I know that's inflammatory and I'm not intending that to be totally inflammatory, but we need to step back a bit and say, kids are people also, and adults are people also. And we need to make sure that the things that we're doing, like taking away phones, for example, I take away kids' phones sometimes, but it's always a choice for that person. And it's not a choice with with like a really big consequence on the other side, but it's a choice that they have to make to relinquish their phone to me. And I intentionally always make it a choice because I want them to know that I'm treating them with respect and we need to do the same for for kids and for adults in in all areas that we're working. And we sometimes forget that and we think because I'm the adult, I can do these things that I'd be furious if somebody did to me, like tardies, for example. Okay, I'm getting on a soapbox. So I'll say this real quick. <laughs> tardies, if we, when kids come in tardy to class, teachers are like, what are you doing? You need to go to the past and get an office or whatever. They embarrass them in front of everybody. Not all, but many teachers. And really, like if a teacher comes in late to my faculty meeting, if I treated them that way, they would be crying and complaining to my boss till the cows come home. There's no doubt about that. Absolutely. And so I model for them when they come in late to faculty meeting every single time. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. And that's it. And they say, Oh, I'm sorry. And it's like, I don't, it doesn't matter. I'm just glad that you're here. Thanks for coming. And if we could just do that kind of a thing, like the modeling for professional development needs to happen more than just when we're teaching, it needs to happen with everything that we do. And we should be treating kids how we would want to be treated as well. All right. Sorry about my soapbox. Let's get back. No, I, I think it's, I don't even think it's a soapbox. I completely agree. I think you're right. And I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of levels of disconnect. And I think that everyone thinks everyone should be treated differently. And, and I'm with you. I think we need to be treating people equally. I think it's easy. You know, I have new teachers come and ask me like classroom management strategy. Like, how do I, how do I manage my classroom? How do I manage my kids? I'm like, well, number one, remember that they're children, but most importantly, treat them like adults because that's all they want. They want to be treated fairly and equally. And if you can't do that, you've made a lot of other mistakes until the point that you had to do something that you wouldn't do to your peers. Yeah. Uh, rule number one, don't think of it as managing a classroom. Think of it as engaging learners. Yep. <laughs> Try that. That might really help a lot. Okay, so one of the other things that you said a bit ago was that the first time you do an innovative model, it will fail. And can you talk about 
why that is and how you overcome that fear of failing with that. Yeah, absolutely. So I can give a personal anecdote here is this year is my first year in the curriculum resource teacher role, which means I'm over all professional development. And like I said, my motto going into that role at the end of last year was I refuse to lecture to my teachers about the importance of not lecturing to their kids. And there and with like you, there's nothing I have to lecture because that's not the most effective way to get information to them. And so I instituted a flipped professional development model where I took stuff that I needed to quote unquote tell them and made it an online course for them. And in this case, the, the first one I did, it was like a audio recording, almost a podcast of just me talking through the points that I wanted them to understand. I pulled clips from other podcasts that had talked about a similar topic and I included those, you know, and I think the whole thing was seven minutes long or something like that. It was a seven minute recording of just here's what you need to learn. Like here's the direct information. Here's some outside resources. Here's a quick survey. Here's a quiz to just make sure you listened. And I said, okay, here's a plan. I'll do it. I'll give it to them. I'll give them PD points, you know, continuing ed points. If they do it, I can give them the points for it. And then when they do it, the face-to-face time now becomes enhanced because I don't have to do that extra 10 minutes and they can just go straight to collaborative grouping. And I did basically an ed camp model on topics that they had chosen, kind of like a modified ed camp of sorts. And I had about half my teachers had not done it ahead of time. And so they had to sit in a room with me for the first 25, 30 minutes of the PD, learning the material that they should have learned ahead of time, but didn't. So I sat them, I walked them through the material, and then they joined back in with the rest of the group. Attendance was not perfect. People liked it, but admin complained that the depth of questioning wasn't there. You know, only in each little group of people having a discussion, maybe five people dominated the conversation and there were 10 people on the periphery just kind of listening. There wasn't a plan in place for necessarily monitoring learning. I didn't have a way to determine for sure if they understood the content, you know, and people liked it, but I wouldn't call it a huge success. The other thing I'll say is going in the day before the training of my 150 teachers, only eight had eight eight teachers had actually done the work (laughs) ahead of time, you know? So, and I think, again, it goes back to that resistance. It's like, I don't, everything in education comes from this, like, oh, this is just the next thing and it'll be gone. You know, veteran teachers have outlasted every fad that has come through and newer teachers are so swamped, they can barely keep track of tomorrow. So I think there's just this inherent resistance to new things. And by the end of the first one, I would not say it's the most successful thing I've ever done, but I think my teachers were like, Hey, this could work. So the next one went better. By the time the face-to-face came up, over half of my staff had done the learning ahead of time. You know, three quarters of my staff had done learning ahead of time. And the next one came up and even more had done it. So I accepted this was going to bomb. I know it's going to bomb because the same thing happens in our classroom. The first time we throw something at our students, it requires so much scaffolding and so much time and planning and and front loading and everything else that we just have to get them there and we struggle through it. And the next time it's easier and the next time it's easier. And so if I'm going to take on innovative strategies with my teachers, I have to keep that innovators mindset that I would have in my classroom, which is that it didn't work yet. That growth mindset, that that innovative mindset is, okay, it didn't work yet. What went wrong? What do I do better next time? What do I change the next time I try it? And then you try it again. And then you think about it again. You reflect and you iterate and you do it again and you reflect and you iterate. And as long as it's getting a little bit better each time, you're on the right track. Yeah, that it's so easy to say that right now. (laughs) And yet when something does fail, 
like you don't feel that right yeah no it's i think i wrote a blog post about it where i had like i had both sides of that like i recognize the dichotomous nature of that argument where it's like it's easy for me to say that and i definitely had moments of panic where i'm like oh my god this is gonna fail i've staked my reputation on this like this is everything i don't know what to do the rest of the year if this doesn't work i don't have a backup plan i just i was all in on this one thing and it's not working it's gonna fail it's good blah, blah, blah. and then you know it's that one it's that band director who's barely ever attended a PD, but never gets anything out of them and walks up to you at the end and just goes, you know what, that's the best PD I've ever actually been to because it was relevant to me. And it's that one comment, like you just have to stomach through to that one shining moment. And then that's what I grasp onto. I'm like, you know what, if he got something out of it, I'm doing the right thing. Now, next time I want two people, I wouldn't expect to say thank you. And the next time I want three and, you know, it's, you kind of have to stomach through that fear. You just have to, you have to embrace it and want it and just, it's going to fail, but I'm going to push through and, and you have to hope. And, you know, when it comes to administrators, you have to hope that you have an administration that either trusts you or can see where you're headed and has the faith in you to let you fail a couple of times before you get it right. Uh, and that requires patience on their part also. And that sometimes, you know, it sounds like you got feedback from them about how it went. Is that is that right? Did you get feedback? Yeah, you know, I had to reach for it. I had to go to all the assistant principals and principal and be like, okay, what did you think? I need your feedback. Like what, what worked, what didn't work? What do you need to work on? You know, and I feel like some of them were hesitant to give me the feedback. And I'm like, no, seriously, come at me. Like, just at me. Like, let's see it. Let's, I want you to tell me it was awful. Like, don't tell me it was good. That doesn't do anything. Tell me it was terrible and why, because that's what I need to fix, you know? And so I kind of had to push for it and and get that from them. And they gave me some pointers and I incorporated those into the next rounds. And, you know, that's kind of what you have to do is, you know, I, I, I think one of the things in PD, especially is when you're looking for feedback, it's not going to come to you. In most cases, you have to push for it. You know, and I've made a, a career more or less out of people saying like, me saying like, how'd that go? And they say good. And I say, that's useless. Give me something better. <laughs> like, tell me how it went wrong. I don't care how it went well. I know that I need to know how it went wrong. Yeah, it's easy for me to see what went well. It's hard for me to see what didn't go well. A couple months ago, I had a interview on the podcast with Jeff Woods, which if you go to transformativeprinciple.org slash episode 1045, you can hear that interview. And in that interview, it turned into a coaching call. And he basically told me that the reason my teachers were making excuses and blaming kids was all my fault as the leader. <laughs> and yeah, ouch, right. And so somebody uh, texted me after that. And they're like, man, that must have been hard to go through. And I said, to the contrary, <laughs> I love that. I wish that I could get more people telling me clearly how things are going. Because I work so stinking hard to be the best that I possibly can be that I know what I'm doing is good because I don't, I have a high level of expectation for myself. So I'm not going to put something out there that's not at a minimum standard. And so what I need is that critical feedback. And I was like, that was the best interview I've had in a long time because he called me out and made me reflect and made me see there are some big things that I need to change. And that was totally worth it. I mean, that was awesome. And, you know, I crave that kind of feedback from my teachers, from my leaders, from my coworkers. Like, I want that. And I want that really bad because that kind of feedback helps you get better. But how do you develop the skin to be able to deal with that critical feedback, Brad? You know, I just don't take myself seriously enough to be offended by things. I, I think that's, I don't know. I, like, I just understand that I'm human and everyone around me is human and we're all doing the best we can. And at least I hope we all are. 
And I just, I don't take myself seriously enough. Like when someone says like, Hey, that was terrible. I'm like, ouch. Okay. Why? You know? And I think part of it's probably just a ridiculously overinflated ego as well. It's like, you tell me it sucked. And I go, well, it didn't suck. It was probably pretty good. But why didn't you like it personally? And I think sometimes that's the way I look at the feedback as well. It's like, if someone's coming at me hard, and they're just like, I hated every bit of that. Okay, why? Like, and that's your interpretation. My interpretation's different. The other teacher's interpretation's different. And I, I kind of look at, you know, maybe everything from its own perspective is you know, they, they don't know all the background that went into get making this happen or all the limitations that were put on me by someone else or everything else. So I kind of take everything with a grain of salt. It's like from your perspective, you think this, okay, tell me why, give me a little more background, give me a little more knowledge, and I can figure out why you're coming at it from that position. And in the future, if I can make it happen, I'm going to adjust to make sure that problem doesn't happen again. But I think a lot of it is like I said, I just don't, I don't take myself too seriously. And I, you know, I take everyone else as their feedback is valid to them, but that doesn't mean it's valid. And that also doesn't mean it's invalid. Um, so I kind of take everything that way. I just, I just don't take it. It's not coming at me. It's not personal. It's, it's what I created. Yeah. And, and being able, like, I think that that, what you said, your high level of self-confidence. <laughs> I think I said overinflated. No, I think it's. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. Well, whatever. <laughs> so I, I do think that that is important because you can't be brought down by what other people think of you. That's one, that's not healthy. And two, that's not actually beneficial for you personally, nor is it beneficial for that person to have your power, you know, and, and that I think is something that, that we are really lacking, especially in the educational realm, that as educators, we take everything very personally because we put our heart and soul into it. For good reason, right. right? Like I'm not on anybody here, but but we take everything so personally and way more personally than we need to take it. How do we teach that skill of having an overinflated ego uh, to teachers so, so that they cannot take things personally and principles? I mean, this is for everybody. Don't get me wrong. I think it has to come with the pros and cons. You know, I I think when you're giving feedback, you have to point out the things that are going well. And I hate the crap sandwich, the like compliment, critique, compliment combo thing. Like I will go into teacher's room sometimes and just give them positive things. Like, you know what? I liked it. I mean, I'm sure you could have made some minor adjustments here and there, but honestly, it was great. Kids were learning. Things were great. That was awesome. Keep it up. And I see them in the courtyard and I'm just like, hey, keep up the great work. Like high five. Um, You know, we started a positive feedback system with just little, these little shout out piece half sheets of paper we printed out where they can just put a teacher's name and something great they did and just throw it in their mailbox and it can be anonymous and i i am on our admin team to do those all the time i bring them with me to every pd session so i can hand them out to people and if someone runs a session for me i give it to all the people that saw their session and like i'm giving those out constantly to give them positive praise like you have to build up the teachers first so that they are confident in what they're doing and then they're receptive to like okay you're great here's how you get better like no one's saying you're bad. No one's saying you're broken. No one's saying you're hurting kids. What we're saying is everyone can get better. And if you don't believe that, that's what you expect your kids to believe. You should practice what you preach. Like you think all your kids walk in the ability that you can improve them or make them learn something. Well, then you should expect the same from yourself. You know, and I think that's a that's a mindset thing that an administration has to build in. You know, the admin has to build in from the beginning that, hey, you guys are all here because someone thought you were worth it. Like someone hired you because you're valuable and you're still here or you've been rehired or you've been reappointed or you've been moved to a different position or whatever because you bring value to a classroom. No one is saying you don't, but everybody can get better. Our most veteran teacher and our most 
brand new teacher, newbie freshman teacher, all of you can improve. And I think that's the mindset of it is like, you're great. You're awesome. I don't think you're a terrible thing. And also you're a good human being outside of work. Let's work on this one thing. This is where you can improve today. Yeah. You know, uh, about that idea that even our most veteran teachers can improve. My first year as administrator was the last year of a teacher who was uh, retired and she was going to retire the year before, but we were adopting a new curriculum and she was like, you know what? I just will not feel good if I retire before we adopt this new curriculum. I've got to try it out and see, see if I can still do it. Like, see if I've still got it that I can learn something new. And man, that woman was amazing. And I was like, are you sure you want to retire? Because you could stay for like two or three more years and really like get good at this. And she was like, no, I'm definitely going to retire. But she wanted to stick around and prove to herself that she still had that belief that you were just talking about, that she's never too old to learn something new. And man, talk about someone that like was a phenomenal teacher her entire career. And in the end, she was still sticking around wanting to make things even better. I mean, so inspiring. <laughs> Seriously. That's awesome. awesome. You know, I think the other mindset thing for me, and, and if you think about leadership and, and, and administrators, I think there's this belief and I, and I stand by it. I think education, at least in the US and other parts of the world, I'm sure, but at least in the US, education is fundamentally broken in a lot of ways. And I don't want to get into all the details of that. But I believe that things need to change. We need to change everything, or at least a lot of things. And if you're pushing for change, I'm just out here trying to change the world. If you're pushing for change and not annoying people, if people aren't annoyed by the change you're trying to push forward, you're probably not actually changing anything. Like human beings don't like change. So if that's the other thick skin part of it is like, if people aren't annoyed by what I'm doing, it's probably not working. If there's kids in your class who aren't being pushed, who aren't being frustrated at the end of the day, because they're trying so hard to learn something, or they're frustrated by the things you're trying to make them do, you're probably not pushing your kids hard enough either. And if my staff isn't frustrated by some of the things I'm trying, I'm not pushing them hard enough. So I also feel like that negative criticism is part of the process. And, and, you know, like her, I'm sure that that last year was probably a stressful year for her. It was hard because she was trying new things, Yeah, but that's also what she accepted. She knew that's what she was going to get. And that's great. I love that mindset. Yeah, that's awesome. And I love that comment. If people are annoyed by what you're doing, you're probably not really doing something worthwhile. That is so powerful. So I appreciate your time and I thank you very much. I want to wrap up and ask my final question, which is we've talked about a lot of stuff here. What's one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative leader like you? Find that person on campus who wants to change the world and then give them the freedom to do it. I think every campus has someone that wants to change things, that wants to try something new, that wants to do something innovative. Give them the freedom. You know, my principal at the time, I was a classroom teacher of four years, five years. And he said, hey, you've got this. Like, you should be running PD. You should be running our digital program. And I said, okay, sure. Why not? And, you know, it hadn't been something I'd thought about, but this position became something. And I love it. You know, so find that person on campus and give them the space. Let them fail. Encourage them to fail. And then let them iterate and try it better the second time. Yeah, I think that is fantastic advice. Brad, how do people connect with you, learn more about you, all that stuff? Uh, best way is probably Twitter. I'm on Twitter at Brad Schreffler. And my website is bradschreffler.com. You can search for that. Uh, hashtag Ed, Ed Breakroom is my my podcast and planning period podcast. So 
Cool. Well, thank you so much for being part of Transformative Principle today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That was a great interview with Brad Schreffler. I hope you'll take some time to uh, ponder about that and figure out some ways that you can improve your professional development for your teachers. If you'd like some ideas on how to do that, just go to the show notes for this page at transformativeprincipal.org slash episode 223, and you'll be able to download my quick ideas for changing up your professional development. I've curated some videos and links and other things that you can get. Just go to transformativeprincipal.org slash episode 223 to get some ideas of how to do better professional development. Transformative Principles is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators by educators. Visit edupodcastnetwork.com for more great podcasts. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com slash BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E.